Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a powerful lyric. What a burden we carry because we don't give it to God. I I pray that for our service today that we can kind of lay our burdens before God rather than focus on them. Rather than let the things that we feel burdened with distract us during this time, we can give those to God and focus on what he has for us this morning. You know, when when a baby is a baby, it can't have meat. Um, babies don't have teeth, so you can't gum a piece of meat until it, you can get it swallowed. You, know? you have to give a baby something that it can actually handle, and that would be milk. Um, in the New Testament, Paul talks a little bit about how teaching sometimes has to be spiritual milk. It has to be something that's easily swallowed. It has to be something that uh, can, doesn't have to be broken down too much. But as people grow in their maturity and their understanding of the Christian faith, they can begin to eat things that are not... It's not milk. As a child grows, it doesn't need milk anymore. Well, milk is a good thing. Don't be wrong. I'm not making some sort of statement on whether milk is good or bad. Um, milk is good. We love our dairy farmers. Um, but they can have other things like meat. So today, today's message is going to be a bit more meaty. I'm going to invite you to, to try and, and stick with me, to try and um, not be distracted today so that you can work at breaking down what we're talking about for yourself. Uh, It's gonna be really easy to kind of zone out for yourself. Maybe you like to do laundry while you watch us online or or multitask in some way. I'm gonna invite you today, just put that stuff down. It's gonna be okay if you take 30 or 35 minutes to just be really present and let this scripture break down for yourself. Today we are finishing up Philippians. This is it, we're done. We've been in this for nine weeks. If you think about a year ago, we were actually studying the life of Abraham. We spent 12 weeks in Abraham, uh, in Genesis, studying the life of Abraham, and we would do one chapter every week. But, you know, Philippians is so good and thick and just full of, of good stuff that we sometimes are taking five verses at a time because, well, that's really all we have time to break down. Today, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 10, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, finish out the letter. So I'm going to invite you to please open your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, whatever that might be, and, uh, and join us at, at verse 10, chapter 4. And also, if you don't have a Bible, and you can make us aware of that, we will give you a Bible. We have tons of Bibles at church, and they do us no good if they sit here all week. We'd rather put them in your hands. So if you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, send us a message on Facebook or write it in the comments right now, whether it's YouTube or Facebook. Let us know you need a Bible, and we will get one to you. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Let's jump in. Here, Here it is. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, You have been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. Now, you have to remember back to the very first week of our series in Philippians, uh, and you might remember that I I shared with you that the Philippians sent Paul a gift of some kind, and Paul used the word koinonia 
to describe the relationship that he has with the Philippian church. It's a two-way relationship. It's not a one-way relationship. It's not all Paul or all them. It's a two-way relationship. And he uses that word to also describe the gift they've given. It's a gift that's been given by the entire community. They work together to collect whatever it is and to give. You might also remember that the Philippian church sent one of the sons of their congregation named Epaphroditus to Paul to help Paul in his ministry. Epaphroditus is the one who got really sick. He, he maybe overworked or he caught some sort of a virus while he was doing ministry. And Epaphroditus was more worried that the people at home would be concerned for him than he was about his, his own health. Epaphroditus was likely the bearer of the gift from the Philippians to Paul. Paul says... I rejoice greatly, Lord, that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And we can read that, and it almost sounds passive-aggressive. It almost sounds like Paul is a little disappointed in the Philippians. Like, oh, it's been a long time since you guys sent me a gift. It's, it's good that at last you finally sent me a gift again. But that's not what Paul was really meaning, because he follows it up and says, look, you've been concerned, but you haven't had any opportunity to show this. So there's been some, maybe when Epaphroditus came, that was the last communication that Paul had gotten for a long time, or the first communication that he had gotten in a long time. It's just been a while. And it's not about the, a lack of care from the Philippians to Paul, it's just a lack of opportunity. Can you think of a time that you know somebody that you just, they've been going through a hard time, you care so much about them, but you just haven't had the opportunity to show how much you care about them? And, and it's really easy that when you finally do pick up the phone or send that message or you do see them or you drop off a, a casserole or something with them, it'd be really easy for that person to be like, oh, great, you finally care. But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul's saying, oh, you haven't had an opportunity to show that you care. Now you did. When you had an opportunity, you showed me, and I'm really thankful for that. That's what's happening here. Verse 11 to 13 and we're gonna, we're gonna sit in this for a little bit here. So let's, uh, let's pay close attention to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in, every, in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. All right, we're sitting in this for a while, so if you have your Bible, your Bible app open, feel free to reread as you need to. Um, Paul isn't thanking them for the gift because he's in need. Now, he is in need. Paul's in jail, right? Paul is in need, but that's not why he's saying thank you. Certainly, there's a part of Paul that is so thankful that they send him a gift, certainly. But what he's really saying is, you guys are showing me that you have caught what I've been teaching this whole time. You guys are good givers. You guys have been caring. You guys have collected in a time of need. You have collected stuff and you have blessed me with a gift. And so he's saying thank you. Thank you for being good givers. Right? This is something that we need to hear in our modern day culture where we live here today because it is good for us to bless other people. We are all blessed. And I know sometimes it feels like you're not blessed. Sometimes you identify more with Paul's statement that you're in a time of lacking rather than a time of plenty. But even in a time of lacking, we're all blessed and it is good for us to bless others. It's good for us to be good givers. It's good for us not to get too complacent and comfortable, but instead think of all that we've been given as a gift 
prepared to bless others. When we're blessed, we hold loosely to the blessing. We're deeply thankful for it, but we hold loosely because there may come a time when someone else needs to be blessed with what we've been given. And that mindset is, is part of the reason why we tithe. Part of the reason is it's because we love God. We care about this community, and we recognize that together our community can do things that we could never do alone. That's part of why we give. Now, Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This series, we've talked a lot about circumstances. We've talked a lot about um, making sure that our joy and our thankfulness and our faith and our hope is located outside of our circumstances. Because in the worst of times, we can still find joy and hope, even if we're in the midst of something really difficult or, or, uh, or tragic. He says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And so one of the things that we wanna remember here is Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's a big deal. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, okay? Paul's a big deal. Paul was taught by a man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel does show up in the New Testament. We hear about him in relation to um, what's happening with Jesus. Gamaliel is like, he is the man. He is the best teacher. He knows the most stuff. He is the greatest Pharisee out there. And so the fact that Paul can say that he was taught by Gamaliel is sort of like saying, you, got, you learned how to play basketball from Michael Jordan, okay? That's the kind of level we're talking about. Paul has been trained by the best of the best of the best, okay? And he's saying here that I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And so what that tells me is this is not something Paul learned from Gamaliel. This is not something he learned from his studies, learning to be content. This is not something that came natural to him. Through his suffering, through the, the painstaking process of going through hardships, Paul has learned to be content. Through having plenty, Paul has learned to be content. So this is not something that comes natural to all of us. It's something that we also must learn how to be content. And this is not something you can learn in a classroom. I can tell you about this, and you can, you can think about it, but this is direct application. Your life, the way you live, what happens in your life, that's gonna teach you how to be content no matter the circumstances. Now, we must unlearn discontentment, all right? What does seem to come natural to us, or, or maybe that it's just taught to us at such a young age, is discontentment. We're discontent with so much. And maybe that's just part of our culture. You know, we want to, we want, we're driven. We want to just get to the next thing. We want that next promotion. We want the, the next degree. We want the, the, the next uh, raise in our paycheck. We want the, the next nicest car, right? We want the, oh, a new iPhone came. I want the next iPhone. You know, like we, we just want the next thing. And so it's easy for us to, to kind of live in discontentment. We need to unlearn discontentment and start to learn contentment. Now, I want to talk about two words. I want to kind of juxtapose them against each other. There's a difference between complacency and contentment. It's sort of possible for us to read this scripture where Paul's like, look, I've learned to be content. You should be content. And it almost can sound like he's telling us, ah, give it your best shot. Eh, it doesn't work out, no big deal. You know, just, eh. You know, it's okay to settle for a little less than your best. No biggie. You guys remember the movie Rocky Three? 
This is sort of one of those, like, I talked about Saving Private Ryan the other week, and I said I can't recommend it because it's, you know, it's a war movie. But Rocky's kind of the same way. I can't really recommend it because it's a boxing movie, but at the same time, I've seen it. Um, Rocky III tells the story of a boxing champion named Rocky, and Rocky is defending his championship title against all these other contenders. But the thing is that none of these contenders are any, well, not really any good. They don't really present a challenge to him. And so he, he keeps celebrating all these wins. Oh, I defended my title. I defended my title. I think he defends his title like 10 times. But nobody really presents a challenge to him. But he celebrates it every time. Like it's just he's overcome the biggest challenge. And then suddenly a real contender comes in, played by Mr. T. If you guys remember Mr. T. He comes in and challenges Rocky's championship. And Rocky accepts Mr. T starts to train, and he trains hard. He really gets in there and trains and trains and trains. And Rocky, rather than giving it his best, he goes to a gym in Las Vegas. He's surrounded by glitz and glamour and girls and all sorts of distractions, and he trains half-heartedly. And when the championship match comes, Mr. T takes Rocky's title away. See, complacency allows us to be okay with less than our best. Complacency convinces us that less than our best is our best. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. That's our best. Whether we eat or we drink or whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. You can't do it for the glory of God and it be less than your best. You have to give it your all. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, in word and deed, yeah, your words matter. Your actions matter. Your lifestyle matters. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. If you give less than your best and you say, oh, did this for Jesus and it's only a half-hearted attempt, did you really do it for Jesus? I mean, that's a joke. That's sad. If you're doing it for Jesus, you should give it your all. See, contentment is, is trying our best and accepting the results. I heard, watched an interview with Tim Tebow, and Tim Tebow was saying, I never tell kids, when I talk to kids and I go around different schools, I never tell kids they can be anything they want. He said, because I feel like that's a lie. He can't be anything you want. He says, but I do believe, and this is what I tell them, that you can uh, reach your God-given potential. I absolutely believe you can reach your God-given potential. It's time that we live up to our God-given potential. It's time that we stop being satisfied with less than our best. Your best doesn't have to be perfect, and your best and my best are different. I don't need to compare myself to you. I need to pay attention to what God has called me to be, and I need to do my best for him, truly for him. It's not about you. I don't need to stand next to you. I stand next to Jesus when that day comes. So it's not about your best and my best in some sort of comparison game. I need to do my best and live into my God-given potential, whatever that is. I think that's helpful application for us today because we live in a culture that constantly has us comparing ourselves to each other. Or, now with the advent of the internet, or maybe even comes before that, maybe it's just the advent of the written word, we compare ourselves to the very best of the best. We compare ourselves to the richest. 
We compare ourselves to the best athlete. We compare ourselves to the very best musician because we have access to all the very best of the best now. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's not the point. God didn't call you to be anybody but you. I'm not supposed to be Jeff. Man, it'd be cool if I could play guitar like Jeff, but I'm not supposed to be him. I'm supposed to be me. I'm not supposed to be Bob. I wish I could swing those drumsticks. That's just not in the cards for me. I need to be me, and I need to stop comparing myself to other people because God has given me potential. I need to live into my potential and not worry about everyone else's potential. Together, we are journeying together as a community, and hopefully we are all reaching our God-given potential. We're all paying attention to our potential. We support one another. We lift one another up. We help provide correction for each other when we need it. We get each other back on the right track when we need it, but it's not about me trying to be anybody but who God has made me to be. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop finding the best of the best of the best that's out there and comparing yourself to them. That is just emptiness. I shared with you before that I used to race cars and even had a national championship at one point. And I remember talking with my father about being a national champion. And I remember my dad telling me, he's like, look, on that day, in that place, with those people that showed up, in that age category, in your class, yeah, you were the best. Just remember, tomorrow is a new race with a new group of people and a new age category and a new gathering. And there's always somebody out there who can beat you. Trying to be the best of the best of the best of the best is just silly and pointless. Be the best you can be. Reach your God-given potential. Now, Paul, in his context, isn't necessarily talking about reaching his God-given potential. I want to call that out. I'm trying to help us apply this passage to here and now today. Paul is talking about his basic needs being met. And for some of us, we live in a world where we struggle to have our basic needs met. But most of us don't live in a world where we struggle for our basic needs, which is why I'm talking about not comparing yourself to others. However, let's talk about basic needs. We can still talk about complacency and contentment. Think about what Paul had been through, and if you're not familiar with all that Paul has been through, then I would say go back to the book of Acts and begin reading through the book of Acts because the book of Acts details all of these missionary journeys that Paul takes and all of the things that he went through, but, but Paul has gone through so many hardships and sufferings. He's been, he's been shipwrecked. Currently, as he writes this letter, he's in chains, in prison, he's behind bars. He's been bitten by poisonous snakes. He's been beaten. I mean, Paul has been through so much. And so he's had days when there has been no food. He's had days when there's no place to lay his head. He's had days when he's floating in the ocean, wondering, is he gonna make it to shore because the ship has been wrecked? Complacency would lead Paul to collect favors and treasures and relationships and money and support and all sorts of stuff to make sure that he never ever has to face suffering again. Complacency leads Paul into a a lifestyle that is primarily focused on insulation from suffering. Think about your house. I don't know if you've ever seen a house being built, but when your house is being built, in between the studs of your wall, they put insulation 
Sometimes they put insulation like foam boards on the outside and they put fiberglass insulation between the studs. And what is that supposed to do? Well, it keeps the weather on the outside. It keeps the wind staying on the outside. So if you are in the midst of building a house and you stand there and there's just studded walls up everywhere and the wind comes shooting across, you feel it all. But the moment that you get the plywood up and the insulation in, and you stand there behind those walls, you can hear the wind, but you can't feel it anymore. You've been insulated from the suffering that the wind causes, from the cold that the wind causes, right? If Paul was seeking to be complacent, he would try to insulate himself from ever having to go through a beating or a shipwreck or being bitten by a snake or being put in prison ever again. That's what complacency would have him do. uh, Contentment on the other hand, allows Paul to accept his circumstances, whatever the circumstance is, floating in the sea on a piece of driftwood after his ship has been wrecked, hoping he finds an island or the shore, he can still be content with the lot he's been given because it's not about insulating himself from suffering. In fact, it's about seeing suffering as a blessing. It's about seeing suffering as a way that I'm actually closer to Jesus. I actually experience a little bit of what it was like for Jesus to suffer. When I was a kid going to Kembrook Bible Camp as a camper, there's this thing they do called the Jesus Walk. I may have talked about this before, but one year, my counselor played the role of Jesus. The Jesus Walk is just a moving play that depicts the life of Jesus. And, And I was maybe 15 or 16 years old. My counselor was Jesus. And as I watched them do this play, he had to carry the cross just like, just like Jesus would have. And there were guards all around him, pushing him, shoving him. And there was this moment where he fell and the cross came down as he fell and just cracked him in the back of the head. And there's a part of me that thought, ooh, he got hurt and the play is over. He got up and he kept going and they finished it. And I remember when we were talking about it afterwards, I said, didn't that hurt? And he's like, yeah, it did. Like, when I carry that cross, it bites into my shoulder. When I fell and that thing hit me in the head, it hurt so bad. But then I remember, that's only a fraction of what Jesus has done for me. That just gives me a picture of what Jesus went through for me. You see, contentment allows Paul to see all the suffering he's been through as just a connection point for what Jesus has done for him. Complacency leads us to a place where we think we deserve everything we've been given. We call that entitlement. Contentment allows Paul to to think about the gifts he's been given and, and not think he deserves them, but be so thankful for them, to hold them loosely, to bless others with them. You know, think about Pastor Appreciation Day, whenever that is. If I, as your pastor, expected, felt like I deserved cards on that day, and that every card should have a gift card in it, and I'd be disappointed if I didn't get that, boy, that would say a lot about my character, wouldn't it? But wouldn't it say more about my character if somebody did give me a card and there was a gift card inside, and I thought, wow, this is such a blessing. I didn't expect that. I I mean, there's nothing that I did that makes me deserve that. I'm I'm gonna hold this card, and perhaps my family will need to use it, or perhaps I'm gonna hear about somebody else that needs it, and then I pass it off. Whatever gifts I've been given, whatever blessings that I've been given, we hold them loosely because they are a gift to us. And there may come a time when you need that gift and God has provided it right there. It's in your hand already. 
But there may come a time when God brings someone across your path that needs that gift. And then because we don't hold on to it so tightly, we are so free to give it away. We are so free to bless someone else with that very thing. Contentment reminds us to be grateful to God and others for all that we've been given. It's contentment that allows Paul to be so excited after a shipwreck when he makes it to shore. Whatever his lot, he's content. I found a non-Christian leadership article this week that talked at length about contentment. And what they tried to do was define the line between um, contentment and discontentment. And they, what they tried to do was talk about like two made-up individuals that say had all of the same things, equally nice cars, equally good education, equally paying job, all, all of these things. And one person is so content and happy that they have these things, and the other person so discontent. They have the same stuff. What's the difference between the two people? And perhaps as I'm talking about that, you're actually thinking about people you know, people that have a lot more than you have, whether that's an education or it's a high-paying job or it's a nice car or, or a nice house, whatever it is, and they just seem like they're so discontent and miserable even though they've been given so much. Maybe you know people like that. This leadership article said that the line, the dividing line is actually gratitude. The person who's content generally, statistically, is more grateful. The person who's discontent feels a bit more entitled, a bit more like I deserve these things and I deserve better. Gratefulness, gratitude, thanksgiving seems to be the dividing line between being content and, and discontent. So last week, if you remember, we talked about how our prayers to God should be of thanksgiving. That has to be a part of our prayer life. Yeah, you have needs and requests. Absolutely submit them to God. God calls us to do that. But we're also given an example of being thankful and showing gratitude in our prayers. We talked about it last week. We said, look, being thankful or, or grateful in your prayers shows a correct disposition of the heart. It shows that your heart's in the right place. It shows your motives. It says a lot about your character. It shows whether you're demanding or not, whether you think you're deserving an entitled or not. And since we're finishing the, the letter to Philippians today, I want to look back with this in mind. If gratitude, if thanksgiving is the dividing line, let's look back at the entire letter for just a moment. If you have your Bibles, flip back to uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul, in the very beginning of this letter, what he does is he says, Hi, this is Paul and Timothy, right? He, he greets them. And then the very first thing he says is, I thank God every time I remember you. He starts the letter out with gratitude, with thanksgiving. It sets the tone and the tenor of the entire letter. And now it's, 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 it's as though because Paul has his eyes and his heart open to being grateful for his supply and his lack of supply, it's like he can see everything in a whole new way. So uh, verse uh, 12, chapter one, verse 12, Paul's in chains. And what does he see his chains as? A creative way to spread the gospel. If you're in chains in the first century in a Roman prison, there's no security cameras around. You probably get thrown a beaten every now and then. You're not just in chains in prison with all sorts of rights like you have today. We're talking, you may not get meals. 
You don't have the sort of rights you have. Paul is in prison and in chains, and rather than sitting in this circumstance that feels so challenging and frustrating and unfair, and God, I've devoted my whole life to you, why would you do this to me? Instead, Paul sees being in chains as a creative way to spread the gospel. Tell me that is not different kind of eyes than the eyes that most of us live with. Then he goes on, he starts talking about rival preachers. Rival preachers with selfish ambitions. Rival preachers who seem to now be benefiting because Paul has been put in prison. And how does he see them? Does he condemn them? Does he tell people to, to hate on them, to, to go to their rallies or their churches or their gatherings and shout terrible things? And No, he sees them as partners. He's like, look, yeah, their motivations may be wrong, but at least they're preaching the gospel. He sees them as partners in the kingdom. Now tell me, that's not different eyes than we have so much of the time, right? In verse 15, chapter one, he says, look, if I die, that's gain. If I live, I live for Christ. Different eyes. Chapter two, verses six to 11, he talks about how Jesus Christ, being equal with God, relinquished his power and his privilege to come down to earth, to become a human, to live as a servant, to die the death of a criminal on a cross, all to reunite us with God. He says, look, if you're gonna follow Jesus, then giving up your power is actually what we need to do. Not trying to accumulate more and more and more and more and more power, we actually give up our power, just like Jesus did. And so he sees the place that he is, in prison with very little power, as making him that much closer to Jesus. Gratitude and thankfulness leads Paul to do all things without complaining. That's a quote, verse 14, chapter two. Do all things without complaining because Paul doesn't believe he's entitled to comfort. Paul doesn't believe that he's entitled to ease. None of us are entitled to ease and comfort. Paul is showing us that he can be content in all these things. Gratitude allows Paul to sing the praises of his good friend, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And when you find good people, anybody that owns their own company or anybody that has ever served on a team as a leader of a team, when you find good people, man, you wanna keep good people. So you do anything you can to keep those good people. When you're in the missions field, if you can find some good people, like Epaphroditus, man, he works himself until he's sick. Timothy, boy, he is a sponge and soaks up everything that Paul says. When you get good people, you keep good people, but instead, Paul sees them as the future of blessing everyone else, and so rather than keep them, Paul says, I'm gonna send them both to you. They're gonna come minister to you. I'm gonna give them away. They are a gift. We get into chapter three and Paul starts talking about his resume essentially, right? He's like, I'm a Jew. I'm from the, I'm the tribe of Benjamin, so I can even prove that I have the, the good lineage. I'm a Pharisee. I know the law better than anybody knows the law. I've been proven by the law to be righteous. He, he's, he lists all these things that everybody else would say, man, Paul has got it going on. That stuff is profit. There's nobody that can compare to Paul. And he says, look, all of that is, it's junk. It's no good. He said the word is scubula. It's rubbish. It's trash. Everything the world counts as profit, I count as trash because I know that none of that stuff gets me in with God. The thing that gets me in with God is Jesus Christ. That is different sort of eyes than we see with in our world today most of the time. We always are trying to check off our list. We always feel like we're not doing enough when we miss a meeting or when we can't accomplish something. Rather than going, look, I haven't lost any of my credibility. I haven't lost any of my worth and my value because I missed that thing. My worth and my value is in Jesus Christ. That's what makes me good with God. Not doing all of this stuff. 
It's a thankful heart. It's a heart of gratitude that leads Paul into humility when he declares to us, Paul, Paul declares to us, I've not yet arrived. I've not yet obtained perfection. I've not yet, uh, I don't feel like I am actually the mirroring Jesus Christ yet. Instead, I will press on. Instead, I will continue to run the race. That's humility brought on by thankfulness. Thankfulness is what leads him to say, look, Yodi and Syntyche, you guys are arguing, but we still love you. Your names are in the book of life. And rather than kick you out of our community because we can't stand your arguing, our community, our yoke fellow is gonna come around you and lift you up and care for you and love you and help you work through this problem. Boy, that's different than the world we live in where you can get kicked out of anything and everything so very quickly. Paul guides their conflict with both grace and firmness. Do you notice that? He, he, he clearly says what's happening isn't okay, but let's come around you with grace and love. He employs both because of his thankful heart, because of his gratitude. Gratitude opens Paul's eyes to see that there is hope in this world. Last week, we ended our sermon visualizing things that we know are true. I said, the thing that I know is true is Jesus loves me. I said, okay, let's think of something that's, that's honest, that's just, that's innocent, that's lovely or beautiful. We went through that whole thing. Paul sees with eyes that knows that the world contains these things in it if we just open our eyes. And gratitude, a grateful heart, a heart full of thanksgiving is what allows Paul not to respond with passive aggressiveness or just aggressiveness when he finally gets a gift of support from the church in Philippi. Instead, he says, I understand you guys haven't had the opportunity, but I am so thankful you gave now. And how different is that than the entitlement with which so many of us respond to gifts? Look, guys, thankful hearts makes a difference. When we have thankful hearts, it changes the way we see everything. It changes the way we talk to people. It changes the way we spread the gospel. If you're constantly discontent, if you're constantly unthankful, and you're out there trying to tell people about Jesus, do you think there's anything attractive about that? Do you think that they're going to want to follow the sort of God you follow that makes you a miserable human being to be around? No. Thankful hearts change the way we see the world. If when you look at the world, all you see are problems, and all you see is the world going to somewhere in a handbasket, if, if that's all you can see when you open your eyes, then you are missing out on the incredible world that God has created. God the creator created something that he wants you and I to have, to love, to care for, to steward, to show others what's going on. And if all you can show others is problems and misery and discontentment, guys, you're not showing people God. You're not showing people the gospel. When we see things with a thankful heart, we act differently and we treat others differently. You want to see a revival in this community, in this town, in this world? It starts with us. It starts with us getting our hearts in the right place. God doesn't want to lobotomize you. He doesn't want little robots. God wants you in your freedom to choose him. You have to choose that. He's paved the way. Boy, he has made it easy. But you have to choose. And if all you can choose is misery and discontentment, 
unfortunately, you're not gonna help with that revival. It's gonna go right by you. It's gonna miss you. In fact, when it does come, you'll probably find problems with it. We need to celebrate who God is. We need to celebrate who God has made each of us to be. We need to do it together, not apart. We need to stop looking for all the division and all the dividing lines. We need to stop spewing hate. We need to find ourselves united in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. In this passage, Paul says something else that you've probably heard or read uh, somewhere, like on a coffee cup or a wall hanging. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Does that sound familiar? You heard that before or read it somewhere? Often we see this verse being used to be like super Christians. It's, uh, It's used when we accomplish something really great. Like, well, just... It's the beginning of the year. We just had a Super Bowl, right? So it's used like we, we won the Super Bowl. I'm a champion. I did it. I can do anything and everything because God gives me strength, which is true. There's truth to that. But it's also a little lacking in humility. When we use it that way, it's all about our strength and our victory and what we've accomplished. And um, well, we thank God as an afterthought. I did this. It's mine. All about me. God, I mean, God, give me the strength. How often do you see the losing quarterback in the Super Bowl pointing up and saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? <laughs> Never. So often when we're victorious, we want to sing our own praises and thank God. And when we lose, we want to blame God and his plan. That's often our relationship with This verse especially. And and if that's how we view this verse, then honestly, I think we should feel like we're wearing clothes that don't fit. Because there might be some truth buried in that mentality, that way of thinking, but boy, we're missing out a lot on this. This is is some meat, all right? If that's how you view the verse, there's some truth in it, but boy, you're missing out. See, Paul's talking about knowing what it's like to have plenty and also be lacking. He knows what it's like to go without food, and he knows what it's like to have a full belly. And in the midst of the good and the bad, Paul knows what it is to be content. In the midst of the good and the bad, he knows what it is to find joy and thanksgiving and faith in the midst of the worst. And he can do all that because Christ strengthens him. It's not an afterthought, it's a forethought. I can do this, I can bear this. As I look ahead at that long road ahead of me, I can walk that road because Christ gives me strength to do so. Whatever comes on that road, be it good, be it bad, be it full belly or be it lacking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We don't use it at the end of a Super Bowl. We use it at the beginning no matter what the Super Bowl brings, good or bad, win or loss, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can reach my God-given potential because of Christ who strengthens me. Think about where Paul is at right now. I mean, he's in prison, okay? 
So as Paul sits there, as he's writing this letter, or he's, he's saying the words out loud, and maybe Timothy is scribing the letter on the other side of the, the bars on the door or something, um, Paul looks back on his ministry. He looks back on his life. He looks back on the good and the bad. He looks back on the churches he's planted, like the Philippians. He looks back and says, oh my word, these Philippians, they're amazing. They, even when I'm not there, it's like they follow God better when I'm not there. You know, he says that sort of stuff in the letter. He's excited. He looks back about the positive things he's done and he's looking back and he goes, think about all the the terrible things that have happened. Think about the, the friends that I've lost. Think about the other apostles who've been martyred and killed and murdered for their faith. He thinks, he probably thinks back to even the moment that Stephen, Stephen is the very first apostle to be killed. And do you know who's there? Paul. And Paul's not there going, stop guys, stop. Paul is there as Saul before he follows Jesus, approving of what's happening. So Paul looks back on his ministry at the positives. He looks back on his ministry at the sin, the places he didn't live up. He looks back at the suffering, being bitten by a snake, being shipwrecked, being put in prison, being beaten, being, his life being threatened. And he thinks, you know what? I've gotten this far because of Jesus Christ who strengthens me. That's, that's why I've made it to this point. And Paul teaches his students. He teaches Timothy, Epaphroditus. He writes letters to the Philippians church. And, and, and all these other letters, like Thessalonians, Colossians, Galatians, these are all letters Paul wrote to the churches. He writes all these letters. These are all his students. He reminds them how to follow Jesus. He provides correction for them when they're doing it wrong. And he's trying to help them understand what this faith journey is going to look like when Paul's not in the picture anymore. And he's essentially saying, you can do what I do. You can share the gospel like I can share the gospel. You can make it through this suffering. You can do what I do because of Jesus Christ who gives you strength. Paul probably sits in this prison as he writes the letter and he he looks down at the chains on his wrists. He looks at the bars on the window, the doors. He thinks about his current circumstance, not knowing what is my sentence going to be? Will I be executed? Will I be freed? What's going to happen? And he thinks, you know what? Whatever happens, whatever happens, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is how this verse is meant to be used. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul has already reflected to us that part of following Jesus is giving up our power. It's giving up our strength. I mean, if you really want to you really want to grow in your following Jesus? Think about your weakness. Because in your weakness, God is made strong. Apart from God, we can do nothing, truly. But with him, when we remain in him, we can do anything because of Christ who gives us strength. This verse isn't a victory lap, my friends. This verse looks at a hard road ahead. And I say a hard road not to scare anybody. That's just reality of life. Life has ups and downs. It's got mountains and valleys. We all go through them. It looks at the road ahead 
with, uh, with realistic eyes and says, you know what? Whatever comes, I can do it because Jesus gives me strength. Whatever comes, it's, this verse is preparation of our abiding in Christ. We stay in him. We find ourselves rooted in him. He's the vine, we're the branches. It's, it's preparation of our connection to him and it, it's also recognition that the fruit bearing that we do as being branches on this vine is all because of Jesus. Any fruit that comes is not because of any sort of strength and power that we have because all that we have is a gift from God. Not that we're entitled to, but that we're thankful for. In the best of times and the worst of times, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Chew on that, my friends. Chew on that. Let's read 14. We're going to read five verses here, coming down to the close. Um, 14 through 19. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when you were young Christians, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I am looking for what might be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift you have sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Paul is closing the letter. We're coming down to the very end here. And he's remembering the sort of support that the Philippians have given him during his time as a missionary. This community that he loves so much has supported him and sometimes were the only ones that supported him in his, in his missions. The only one. And it appears that there were times, like in Thessalonica, that he needed support again and again and again and they were there for him. They supported him multiple times through that. And the interesting thing here is that Paul is less concerned with the gift and he's more concerned with, as what he says, crediting their account, joyous credit to their account. It's as though Paul has a picture of somebody keeping the books. And when we give, boy, it's credited to our account. And Paul is thankful for the gift, but he's even more thankful that he gets to be like, hey God, my friends in Philippi, they lifted me up, they supported me. He goes to God on their behalf to share with God what has been done. Not that God doesn't know. He's just so joyful that he can credit this sort of support and care and love and giving to their account. Paul knows that God looks favorably upon those who mirror his heart. And in this case, it's giving, it's blessing, it's caring for, it's lifting up, it's supporting. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each of you should give what you've decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. 
Paul makes mention of their sacrifice being sweet-smelling, and that might sound a little weird to you. And what that is is just Old Testament language that talks about sacrifice. That was sort of the belief. When you sacrificed a, a bull or a ram or whatever it might be, that the aroma that raised was sweet-smelling to God. And so the thing that we want to pay attention to here is that Paul recognizes that their gift is a sacrifice of sorts. And that's what I want to remind you today a little bit, is just when you give, you sacrifice. That's just the honest truth. You, you tithe on a regular basis, you are giving up something that you otherwise could have. I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what that is in your life. When we give, when we bless others, when you take that gift card that's been given to you and instead you give it to someone else, you are sacrificing the gift card to give to someone else. When we give, we sacrifice. Paul recognizes that this gift that the Philippians have gathered to support him with has been a sacrifice. You think about the Old Testament, if the person making the sacrifice had to purchase the bull, even today, Purchasing a bull is a big deal. That's expensive. That costs a lot. And in Old Testament times, you're going to make that sacrifice whether you actually can pay for the bull or not because that's the way you were going to find forgiveness uh, from God. That's how you were going to be made pure. So I'm getting the idea here as I read this that the uh, Philippians probably scraped together. They gave whatever they could to support Paul in this. Whatever this gift, it probably came at a great cost. When we give to God, we are never the poorer for having given. I want you to remember that. Because I think it's really easy sometimes that we, in our, in our budgets, we set some money aside and say, look, this is what I'm going to give to God. And that's the easy first thing when things get tight is, is we go there and we give less. We're never the poorer for having given to God because God blesses us when we give so much. We give because God has given to us. You've been richly blessed by God and so we give because God has given to us. We love because he first loved us. We give because he's given to us. My friend Lisa Stone who spends time with me in the office has said and often says, we can't outgive God. I love that. We can't outgive God. And to that end, God, and Paul ends with a promise. He says, Look, thank you for your gift. Thank you for being cheerful givers. Thank you for scraping this together and sacrificing in order to give. God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. He finishes with a promise. As you bless, so too will you be blessed. Verse 20 to 22, this is it. He says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is not a thoughtless Statement, this is not just a normal goodbye. Paul wants God to have the glory forever. Whatever happens, Paul's signing off the letter. He has no idea what his sentence will be, 
Be he executed, be he freed. Will he see the Philippians again? Will he not? Will Epaphroditus and Timothy make the treacherous journey and get to Philippi? Will they be attacked on the road? Killed? He has no idea what the future holds. But to God be the glory forever and ever. Whatever happens, to God be the glory forever and ever. These might be some of the most powerful words in the entire letter as Paul signs off. To God be the glory forever and ever. Whatever happens, good or bad, to God be the glory. In your life, in our church, whatever happens, to God be the glory. Five points, here we go. We give because we love God. If you feel obligated to give a tithe at this church, I don't want you to give a tithe. We do not give out of obligation. We are cheerful givers who give because we love God. That is why we give. And until we get that right in our heart, maybe you shouldn't give. We give because we love God. That is why we give. Don't give out of obligation. Give because you love what God is doing. Give because you love God, because you can't wait to see what's coming next. Whatever God is doing, to God be the glory. Give because you're content in all situations, not just because times are good. Give because you're a cheerful giver. Number two, be content, not complacent. Be content, not complacent. Complacency leads us to laziness. Contentment leads us to our God-given potential. And we're okay with it. We're not comparing ourselves to others. We're not chasing the almighty dollar or whatever the American dream is today. We're just chasing Jesus. And we are so content to chase after Jesus together. You are not alone. I need you to hear that. And you're chasing after Jesus you're not alone. You have all of us. Number three, thankful hearts change us. If, you don't, if you're not a person that has a lot of gratitude or thankfulness that comes naturally, this is your growth point. We need to grow in our thankfulness because as we become more thankful for all that we have already been blessed with, it changes the way we talk to people and interact with people and the way we interact with the world. It changes the way we see the world. So let us see the world with renewed eyes. Let us see the world the way that Jesus sees the world. Let us see the world the way Paul saw the world, with thankful hearts. Thankful hearts change us. Number four, giving requires sacrifice. Okay? I'm not gonna lie to you. God calls us to be cheerful givers. And giving requires sacrifice. We're giving up something when we give. But rather than being annoyed or frustrated or disappointed or, or wishing we hadn't, be thankful that God has blessed you enough to give. And number five, to God be the glory forever. God. Not us, not you, not me. God gets the glory. I shouldn't stand up here if I can't say God gets the glory. If our church blows out the seams and all sorts of amazing things happen, that is God, that is not me. And the moment that I take the credit for that, I need to be gone. To God be the glory forever and ever. And that's the same sort of rule that we should have in our personal lives too. God be the glory.
Simple statement. We can't outgive God. I love that. We can't outgive God. We're never the poor for having given to God. God blesses us when we give. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.